Hello, we are Natalie and Matthias. We welcome you to our conversations with B2B ecosystem experts and platform founders. Our goal is to uncover what they learned and help you to launch and scale platforms, marketplaces and business ecosystems. Enjoy! Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of our podcast, Platforms for Future. We are very excited today to have Adam Broadway, CEO of PlatformOS, joining our conversation. And um, Adam has created his own company a while ago called Business Catalyst and uh, sold it to Adobe. Then he worked as strategist at Adobe before he really went deeper into the marketplace and platform economy by creating as a CEO and founder near me marketplaces as software as a service company to create sharing economy platform marketplaces. And later on, he went and discovered that it's not just about marketplaces and, um, uh, but you can also do a lot, a lot more using platforms. So he created platform OS, but I think the best way to introduce what is platform OS, we give Adam the voice and let Adam explain to us what he is doing and why platform OS is so special. And, but this episode is more about platform OS and talking about infrastructure and building platforms on top of platforms. We in our episode will focus on communities as a main driver or as a key enabler for network effects. And Adam has went through a very impressive learning curve, establishing all of those platforms out there and helping those platforms out there to grow and discovered what is really so special about communities and Yeah, we are really exciting to go into this deeper understanding and deeper conversation with him about what are communities and how can you unlock the inner workings of communities to drive network effects. So very welcome to our show, Adam. Well, thank you very much, Matthias, for the, uh, the invitation and the privilege of being part of this podcast. And uh, of course, Natalie, uh, and we have Katarina behind the scenes making sure that Everything goes smoothly. It's been a, a really great ride over the well, 20 plus years I've been in technology. And as you mentioned, communities, and in particular for me, communities of practice where practitioners really focus in on driving the value add inside of marketplaces and platforms. And as you mentioned, yes, Business Catalyst was a previous company that we built and sold to Adobe. And through that experience, it was evident that the power in building value in Business Catalyst was through our community. And we had a staff of 27 and a channel partner network, a community of over 5,000, which drove the value within that business so incredibly well that as you mentioned again, uh, Adobe bought us as a SaaS product and embedded us within their creative cloud for e-commerce content management, email marketing services. So it's, it's been amazing then being taking those learnings to firstly build near me marketplaces as a brand where we wanted to commoditize the ability for entrepreneurs to quickly spin up a marketplace, whether it be for products or services or build a community of practice. Uh, and then beyond that, we realized through experience, we built our own marketplace called Desks Near Me, which is 
of office space are doing exceptionally well still. We then realized that on top of near me marketplaces, you had a a foundation on which a developer could build literally anything. So again, we've taken the knowledge and the learnings from our previous company and building those ecosystems to empower and allow other professionals in different niches to do the same. And um, thank you for giving us a kind of an intro to um, where you started. And um, um, let's have at the beginning a closer look at Platform OS and um, what is Platform OS and what, what are you doing with Platform OS and then um, what is uh, so special about Platform OS compared maybe to other competitors out there building building platforms? Yeah, great question. Well, having been in the in the IT games, the XT, the 8088 processor was a baby. Eight computers building those uh, all the way through the 286, 386, 486, etc. Before Amazon Web Services, before Google Cloud, and before Azure, uh, I've been been there, done that when it comes to infrastructure as a service. And what Platform OS has been able to do is ensure that those who develop and build their marketplaces or communities or learning management systems or SaaS products on top of us are not locked into a particular infrastructure provider. And that's been a key part for Platform West is ensuring that infrastructure agnostic and that we allow developers to literally build anything. But the DNA that we bring to the table is this experience around building communities, building marketplaces. And so, yeah, at the core of Platform OS is flexibility, security, the ability to uh, go in any direction in development and not have to worry about any of the DevOps, all those back-end server problems and infrastructure problems. So we wanted to solve that problem. Adam, from from my side, I'm, I'm going to chip in now and uh, I'm going to ask you a question. So, um the technology side, I have no doubt, uh, is under control. Uh, what's particularly interesting, as, as Matthias introduced and you already alluded to, is this whole communities uh, approach that you're taking. How did you, well, first, maybe how did you realize that this was a particularly interesting or relevant topic uh, beyond the technology? Because you know, when you build a platform, the technology is what the technology is the thing. But the whole governance and how do you operate that platform? How do you accelerate it? How do you have network effect? This is where you know it comes to the crunch. So, how did you come to realize that, and how do you leverage your platform to really drive this? Yeah, that is the kernel of the the most important part of it because at the end of the day, technology is just an enabler uh, and people will continue to commoditize technology between now and forever. The core success factor is how have you nurtured and enabled your community to grow. And for me, with Business Catalyst, the, the company that we grew, understanding that our community was the key to success really ensured that we brought that learning into developing uh, Platform OS. So yes, the technology is one thing. So the experience is looking back and realizing that with a, a very small team, that the success of our company was purely in the hands of a global spread community of practice. And this is where 
we really drilled down more in the business strategy for Platform OS is how to focus in on the practitioners for the market niche. And for us, yes. And I'm sorry, sorry, before you go on, just that one, can you give a definition of community of practice for the listeners? Yeah, great, great question. So the community of interest versus community of practice and the, the Venn diagram that overlaps those two is think of your community of interest uh, are the hobbyists. They're the, the weekend warriors. Their livelihood doesn't depend on that community. It's a community of interest where I, I do enjoy it. I like it. And the community of practice are the practitioners. You know, they're the people who generally are, um, they're the guilds. That's where the apprentice goes. That's where the apprentice wants to become an artisan in their given field of focus. Now, of course, these days you don't have guilds so much. Uh, certainly if you want to be a doctor, you need to go through the education process of becoming a doctor. But if you want to be a developer, uh, and code things, there's no barrier to entry in that respect. So guilds in the old way of protectionism uh, don't exist as much, but the guilds in, in the sense of a focused community of practice who are practicing for their livelihoods to depend on is very different from a community of interest where it's my hobby, I can take it or leave it, and then that Venn diagram of overlap between the practitioners and those who are hobbyists can move the communities of interest into becoming practitioners over time. And I think it's really important for anybody building a marketplace to focus on the communities of practice. To give an example, if you like, uh, Facebook. Facebook is full of communities of interests, whereas a community of practice generally would not want to leverage or distract or dilute or give up their community to a platform like Facebook to manage their community. A real community of practice generally wants to build their own community on their own terms with their own customer experience, user experience, and own all the data and not have it hijacked by a, a separate social media company who gives them enough features to make it work. But ultimately, that company wants to own the community practitioners need to own their own communities and drive it. So that's that's probably a good analogy. In terms of business, it makes uh, more sense, right? Absolutely. Uh, because you, you, that's where you're going to be able to drive business when you operate a marketplace beyond the communities of interest and uh, the model that you described. <laughs> yeah, and, the, and I'm not saying don't have a Facebook group or, or leverage a Facebook page, but drive them out of there as quickly as possible. What the call to action and then the nurturing of your community, absolutely, if it's a community of practice at least, should be on a separate system that takes away the distraction and provides the customer experience, user experience, that's specific to your industry niche and specialization. Have we got an example of a community of interest that migrated into a community of practice maybe? Yeah, I've got a couple. And, and I, I really love what Intel has been doing. Intel, uh, and this was an initiative driven by a gentleman called uh, Bob Duffy, Robert Buffy. Uh, shout out to him. He's been at the forefront of this at Intel for a number of years. What Intel wanted to do was to nurture a community of interest and a community of practice 
And so they built their own version of Facebook with a product uh, called DevMesh, devmesh.intel.com. It's taken off in a huge way. And that's a great example of where they have both the community of interest and the community of practice. Now, of course, they have, Intel has uh, groups on Facebook, but when it comes to those people who are interested in artificial intelligence and IoT and developing with the whole suite of Intel's various uh, products, DevMesh is a community now that Intel runs, owns, it's branded accordingly, the workflows are according to Intel's requirements, they own all the data, they get the feedback from their community on how to improve it. And so that's one example. Another would be the Hallmark Keepsake Ornament Club. Hallmark has a members-only community that they've built. Again, it's off of Facebook. They still use Facebook, but they've driven their user experience to the Hallmark Keepsake Ornament Club. It's a paid membership access, but the benefits are huge. Again, they have curated content. They have a user experience and a brand experience that the brand owns. Now, one of the on both of those examples, there's two very interesting uh, side effects that they have had. In the Intel example, the community are putting up incredible projects and they're getting collaboration. These individual people around the world are highlighting, hey, I built this um, machine learning model to identify x-rays that identify where COVID might be impacting in our lung, in people's lungs. It's like, oh, wow, we had no idea. Private equity and venture capitalists are using this community now as a proxy to identify upcoming and new technology and groups of people that they might want to invest in or acquire. Uh, Intel Capital sees that now. That's a side effect. They didn't intend. On the Hallmark side with the Keepsake Ornament Club, owning that whole user experience, they've also been able to focus on market research. So instead of outsourcing market research to get the opinions of people who, uh, you know, everybody come in, we're going to do a focus group. We're going to pay you a thousand dollars for the day to come in. You'll, you'll be in a room. There'll be one way mirrors. So our research people can watch your interaction. Well, that can be removed to a large degree because suddenly in this community, they'll put up an idea, an image, a video, and immediately they get the lovers and the haters and by that, passionate people on both sides of the emotional spectrum giving feedback without needing a focus group. And so that real-time feedback on things is something that the brand, again, had an unattended consequence when they had their own fully built and owned community of practice uh, on, a, on a solution outside of the known social media platforms. Would you say that maybe Lego did the same? I, I was thinking while you were talking, you made me think of, of the, the engagement that Lego uh, is driving across uh, its community uh, to build new products. To, to uh, I'm not sure it's the same, but I was thinking that. Would you? Yeah, so yeah. Lego have been at the forefront of a, of a lot of innovation over many years and they – also went out to market to research how they could build a common API framework to enable external developers uh, to jump in. And so, yeah, I think Lego is a great example of how they've empowered other people. And they even did that with their physical devices and their robotic systems and, yeah. and all of that. It's been amazing. 
And I think that's a good example of, of moving from interest to practice. Uh, that's uh, because a lot of people are even adults are passionate <laughs> about Lego. Absolutely. And and being able to tap into the, the creativity, fresh thinking, yeah. and give an opportunity for somebody who has an interest, but their livelihood mm-hmm. doesn't depend on it, to suddenly mm-hmm. moving towards a practitioner and going, you know what, I can give up my day job because yeah. I, I don't want to be a, an accountant anymore. Nothing, nothing wrong with that, by the way. Uh, but I, I do want to be a, a developer, a, a, an engineer, a robotics expert. And that barrier, of en- that barrier to entry has been reduced when you have your own curated uh, marketplace or platform. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so with the, uh, we talked about communities and we also said, okay, what, are, what is the role of communities to drive network effects? Because the inner engine of a platform are the, those network effects. And um, we talked about that communities can not only drive the whole network effects forward, but they are more responsible for same side network effects. So um, when you build communities of interest or build communities of practice, then maybe the communities of interest are more on the side of the consumer side of a platform and the uh, communities of practice are more on the side of a producer. Would you would you agree to this? And um, oh, so so much so. Yes. I, I, sorry, I, I cut you off there, Matthias. But I'm nodding furiously uh, on the Zoom video. You probably can't see that on the podcast. But ev- everything that you've just said is so spot on because the supply side. One of the interesting things that we found was that within these communities of practice, you would think that there's a lot of competition between the the business side, the producer side, the practitioner side. But what actually in fact happens, and we see this time and time again across multiple industries, is that there's cooperation and there's collaboration between the producer side. So you actually do get a marketplace on the supply side. So if the businesses so that are the practitioners are, are driving uh, value to the consumer. Well, I don't like that word myself, but customer side. Uh, what about marketplace effects or network effects between the practitioners? It's huge. We saw that in Business Catalyst where initially we're building a community. We've got lots of web designers, digital marketing agencies, internet consultants, and we're thinking that they're all competing with each other. In fact, the opposite happened. There's so much work out there and they're all wanting to learn from each other that they started marketplace activities between each other. Hey, we've got this big deal. Can you come in on it? Uh, How did you do that? Can you help us? And so there began to be a marketplace within the marketplace just for the practitioners offering products, services, and uh, and even templated solutions that they had developed that they then provided to other practitioners within the network. So this is a kind of a strategy to motivate those practitioners, uh, giving them a special kind of marketplace within a marketplace because I would say it's not just to have those kind of communities, but you also need to, as a platform, you need to stimulate those communities. You need to think about how can I engage with those communities? Are there any special kind of strategies you have observed in the last years, how marketplaces, how platforms can really interact with the communities and stimulate those communities? 
Yeah, that's a tough one because as with uh, life in general, you'll have different personality types, the extroverts and the introverts, and there's the Myers-Briggs chart of personality traits. And you see that happening in communities of practice as well. There'll be those who are very outspoken, who have a, an opinion about everything all the time, and those who are quietly lurking in the background. And how do you encourage those sorts of connections between each other to bring out the most value. Well, gamification has been one way that you do that, you know, different badges for different types of interaction, uh, letting people be rewarded um, for good behavior. Uh, that was a great response and there's kudos to you or there's karma points or there's, oh, you unlocked a badge. Uh, so there's different ways that you can use the carrot uh, to encourage those people to get involved and where that also opens up opportunities, good community managers, somebody that can get in there and actually actively connect with people behind the scenes. There's also some other interesting things that we've done. And in fact, we patented an algorithm that does predictive analytics on network and link data because as in the days of old uh, where you had the organized crime rings and the police would scramble to work out who done it, who was the person that actually influenced this thing. Um, those same criminology algorithms were flipped on their head to look for the most trustworthy people within a network. And they may not be the most vocal. There's groups of people that can uh, exist within a community and if you have public, private and secret groups and chat going on, you'll often be able to not see the conversation. You don't need to understand the context of the conversation. You just need to know that there was a network effect between two points, a source and a destination and a date and time stamp. With those three data points, you can actually identify peer group leaders and peer group spreaders, influencers within communities of practice. So using that data, you could then as a community manager and uh, marketplace owner, use that data to socially engineer certain activity. So we use that word uh, social engineering. It's out there. It's what marketing is but you can use those hidden gems of data to help encourage an influencer or a, a peer group leader to be maybe more vocal. And if they don't have a personality type that does that, at least invite them into an inner circle where they feel safe to be able to express themselves without fear of, you know, their, their ideas being shot down by a, a very vocal group uh, that doesn't agree with them. So how do you surface everybody to have a voice, even if they don't want to be put on a pedestal or made public? And predictive analytics around network and link analysis absolutely provides that. So what you're saying is that uh, that your algorithm enables you to identify the peer group leaders so that you can accelerate your network effect through other mechanisms, but all this without breaching data security and 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 uh, um, uh, confidentiality of content exchange, etc. Exactly right, and very uh, yeah, point. it's been amazing that you know telecommunication companies have had this data and have used this intelligence for a long time. They don't need to know the context of a conversation. All you need to know is, is there reciprocity between two people 
or three people, up to five people. It's, we're not looking at the the person with a million followers. That's like, okay, let's throw money at them and tell them to talk about our brand. Boom, we get a result. This is more discreet. This is like, who are the actual real influencers? Who are those tight-knit peer groups where the reciprocity of communication exists between them and five others generally? And those other five, are they interconnected and are they having conversations with each other? Because if they're also having a reciprocal conversation over time within that group with each other, that's a tight-knit peer group. If you've got a peer group leader where there's lots of inbound and outbound, but there's no interconnectedness with the other people in that peer group, then you know you can see those patterns. And in fact, uh, that's what telcos, telecommunication companies and their call data records use to identify churn, potential churn off of their uh, service uh, or influence across their networks to say, oh, look, these are family members. Oh, it's interesting. This person's calling this person at this time every month. There's dynamics in that data. I won't go into specifics, but th- th- that those data patterns could be mapped to psychological illness, uh, to other emotional impacts happening to that person, obviously birthdays, uh, seasonality, and it is very dynamic data because this peer group that we've just formed in this conversation and over the last few weeks that we've had a chat is a peer group where only the dynamic ongoing communication will then help us to see the, how tight-knit our peer group is. So we can filter out all of those sort of variables. It's extremely powerful data. That's why Facebook have been able to use that type of approach in uh, manipulating people's activity feeds and the like. But they also have context on top. So they know emotional status as well. Yeah, I think the, the, the good point about data and, and measuring everything is really also that you can really measure and monitor the value of your of your network. And most of the people who are familiar with platforms are knowing about Metcalfe's law and that the value of a network is proportional to the square the number of connected users. And uh, But most of the users don't know that there's also a Reed's law and Reed's law is... Um, that uh, it's it's kind of measuring the value of a network and uh, which is proportional to the number and ease with which groups are formed within a network so it's 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 talking about the subgroups and um, how fast subgroups are growing within the network uh, are there any other KPIs you maybe monitor and help uh, marketplace leaders to monitor to understand the value of its network and maybe the value of the of the communities? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, it's it's the sub networks of influence that are actually very valuable, and a lot of CRM systems don't have that capability. Some do, but they don't look deep enough. And the salesperson, so from a salesperson uh, looking at CRM data, and firstly, just to go back one point, this is this is why it's so important to have your own platform solution because Facebook and other social media sites own all of that data. And I can tell you they're not going to give it to you. In fact, they've locked down their APIs so that you can't access most of the good stuff in the data. So access to that data is first and foremost, absolutely critical. And then being able to analyze it so that you can identify what are those subgroups and then surfacing that 
plugging it into your CRM system. So when a customer support person takes a call or a outbound sales or inbound sales comes along, can they see the network effect of this person? For example, Adam rings up local car dealership because he needs his second-hand Subaru serviced. And the salesperson or the person at the service desk picks it up and goes, oh, it's this guy and he's got one broken down car uh, that isn't high value to us. Maybe we won't prioritize his service. But if that person understood that Adam is an influencer of other car buyers and, in fact, his family have got many other cars uh, and that they're connected to other people who recommended the dealership. It's like, hang on, Adam only has one vehicle purchase linked to us. It's an old bomb, not high value, but his influence across the network is so impactful. He should be getting the, the Christmas hamper each year and invited to the Christmas party, whereas CRM data generally doesn't show those that impact. So I think... Uh, the connectivity between that data, those subgroups, uh, the influence across tight-knit peer groups to surface it within other systems is going to be the next step uh, in the value prop for uh, communities of practice and the data that they provide. So, so this is talking about the value of the communities for a specific platform, but we are also talking about sustainability and uh, we are also always thinking about how can platforms provide a positive impact to, to the, to the broader ecosystem, to the society, etc. Do you see also, um, kind of strengths here, how to leverage the, this kind of power of the communities? And, uh, or do you see also, do you have also some kind of examples where you say, Hey, this is a perfect example. How, a platform is maybe based on a community and in total it provides a very, very positive feed, uh, impact to our ecosystem. Yeah, great question. Uh, there's a few nuggets in there that we can break down. Uh, definitely at, a, say, a, a low-level development perspective, Platform OS is very aware of carbon footprint and making sure that whatever is built needs to use the least amount of servers possible. And building platforms often means that you have a bunch of developers who don't have the experience and they experiment and they just throw more server hardware at running that. And we see that in large ERP systems and they say, hey, our software can do all of this, but we need 20 servers just to run a basic reporting function. So that's one part of it. What type of platform are you building? And are you very conscious of performance and efficiency to make sure that you don't burn an carbon that is running the servers? The next part is then what other types of impact uh, around sustainability or even regeneration can you do with a community of practice or a, a marketplace? And Intel is probably a great example where the connection of people and ideas and being able to provide that in an online way has actually uh, helped augment their offline meetups where people haven't been able to maybe get to a, a particular uh, work group to research particular uh, new innovations, providing the, the connection for others to be involved has actually shortened the development timeline down and allowed other people to come and be involved. And then 
projects like Neom, uh, I'm not sure if everybody listening is familiar with Neom, but it's uh, neom.com. It's providing innovation, sustainability. They're building a community, an ecosystem uh, out of the Middle East. It's a big corridor running through multiple countries in the Middle East, which is all around sustainability and regeneration. So for food, water, and energy. How can a community be involved from all around the world to provide best practice to help with desalination technology, um, food production, and efficient use of energy? Neom is a incredible initiative. It's a $500 billion project that's going off and will be worked on over the next uh, up to 2030, I think they launch. And that is quite an amazing approach to building a community of practice in multiple industries and uh, sectors where they're bringing the best minds from around the world online, but also physically in time to solve some major sustainability issues. And that community of practice is a great example. And we'll see the, the outworkings of that play out in the years ahead. That's a great example. I like it very much. And also, uh, I'm thinking beyond sustainability, what you described can have also could have also um, maybe a, a, an economic uh, impact or social impact on people who are, um, you know, working together, maybe professionally and improve each other's uh, practice. Um, so it might be a bit more indirect, but. Um, yeah, that's also that side, I guess. Absolutely. We see that. That's And that's where the community of interest, community of practice crossover helps too because those practitioners and their learnings that they share and mentoring and coaching and other things that uh, exist within the, the marketplace for that niche uh, helps people educate themselves, re-educate themselves and move into a whole new economic opportunity. It's very exciting. So it's also a little bit like a, like, yeah, like different levels. So you can think about in a, in the first place, me as a platform, how can I reduce waste? Let's say like energy consumptions. But if you maybe grow and you become more mature, you can more, more mature. You can also think about how can I give a positive, how can I have a positive impact to the, to the environment, to the, to the to the society so i really like also the the example of neom and uh, as this is a very great example of the let's say maybe highest level of engagement with the ecosystem and leveraging eco uh, communities and that also can tie back to some of the gamification ways of rewarding good behavior within the community it's like if i'm a i may not be uh, an extrovert and I want to keep things to myself. I'm very happy to mentor and help people. But you know what? I might speak up a little more if some of my other values are highlighted and rewarded. And those inner values is that I'm an introvert. I don't like talking about this, but my passion for working on desalination plants and sharing my knowledge as a professor in that niche might then incentivize me to really share that. And, and, and another point I'm thinking of is um, when I'm thinking about communities is uh, I think you, you, you mentioned it, uh, kind of the social dilemma effects. Um, so on the one hand side, we have seen the rise of those social media platforms like Facebook, et cetera. But now 
people also realize that with more and more data shared on those social media platforms, mm, there's a kind of a growing concern about the negative impact, the negative influence, those kind of um, communities or those kind of platforms could have on, we have seen this on elections, etc. So is there, how do you see this uh, in relation to, on the one hand side, there's a kind of this dilemma on maybe negative impact, but on the other side, there's could be also, there's this huge value in, in, or in positive impact also as communities can have on creating network effects, creating a great value proposition for the users, et cetera. So how, how do you see this and how can you deal as a platform leader, as a platform owner with this kind of dilemma? Yeah, it is a dilemma. Um, hmm, how to answer that one? Yeah, not, you know, the old saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and I think the, you know, the Facebooks and Twitters and Instagrams and all of those, uh, even LinkedIn, in LinkedIn is starting to become a little bit uh, political and it's uh, where you know, people will say, keep that off of LinkedIn. This is a professional platform. Go and put that in Facebook where I don't have to read it. Uh, the, the number one thing that these social media platforms want is data and keeping you and your eyeballs stuck on their platform is the name of the game. And whatever techniques they want to use to keep eyeballs and get that data, they will use, which is why they go off and they pay billions of dollars for a competitive upstart who comes out of the woodwork and gets this massive user growth. They go, hang on, the data is so important to us, we will buy that for astronomical amounts of money and plug it in, as we saw Facebook do with Instagram and uh, WhatsApp and others. I don't think that in and of themselves they're bad. It's how they use those. And we know that the connections and being able to connect with other people and have uh, those connections made easily for us is really important. There's a lot of good that's come out of it. There's a lot of great non-for-profits that have been able to leverage that platform to raise money for good social impact things. Is the, the cost of doing business with those platforms ultimately worth it? And that's the part that for me, I go, I don't think so myself personally. And then you could argue, well, Adam, you've got a platform. All you're wanting to do is speak your truth, quote, unquote, because you think that people should be building on platform OS because that's your business model. And you'd be right in thinking that, but you'd also be right in thinking that, well, you own your data as well. And on a social media platform like Facebook, you don't. So you do get these connections. You are able to leverage that free platform to get your non-for-profit uh, value out there, raise money, do things, connect with people that you never, people have met and married on, on Facebook. People have also met and then ended up cheating on their spouse and having a divorce as well. So, you know, there's all sorts of positives and negatives, but who owns the data? And if you don't own your data, you don't own your business. And that's the big problem. And I think that uh, the positives and the negatives need to be weighed up. And that's why I believe that communities of practice and associations and, and practitioners in any vertical or niche need to own their own data on their own ecosystem and their own platform to be in control of their destiny. Otherwise, you just hand it over your entire business to that big platform who now owns and runs you. Yeah, this is also... I like this uh, as a... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, 
<laughs> no, I was uh, saying this sounds like a, a great uh, uh, concluding slogan. If you don't own your data, you don't own your business. <laughs> but, Ponti, uh, <laughs> yes, keep going. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, exactly what I also had in mind. So I'm, I'm always thinking about our value stack and the value stack uh, and our um, listeners know um, when we talk about platforms, we always say in the long run, if they really want to be become successful in the long run, they have to create value on four layers and um, the low the the, the the three layers at the bottom, let's say this way is in are the network layers, is the data layer, is the infrastructure layer, but on top of all of them is the sustainability layer, is what kind of positive impact you can have on the society, on the ecosystem. And if you Turn this around, and if you put yourself, uh, if if your priority as a platform is more like, I want to be, I want to make profit, high profits, whatever, then you value profit higher than sustainability. Then, of course, you can be successful, but only in the short term. But in the long term, uh, you maybe will lose the communities, the the trust people have on uh, at your platform, on your platform. So. Um, you will lose them and then you will see kind of a disruption by another platform coming up, which uh, values trust much higher than, than yourself. And then people will switch in and then and, and go to the other platform. So couldn't agree more. And we're seeing that happen. We're seeing it right now happen with different platforms popping up that does value trust and, uh, and values a free open conversation in different ways. And they're moving off of incumbent platforms that, don't value that so much. Um, and the triple bottom line is so important. You know, people, planet, profit. Many businesses just have that profit-driven approach. They've got shareholders on a quarterly review that determine their share price and they are very profit-driven. If they can show that they've got more user engagement, that they can sell more ad clicks and clickbait is part of that, that's their driver. As much as they give lip service, to other things, you actually know where their heart's at when you see the uh, what they do with data. Uh, so I, I couldn't agree more. That trust factor is critical and a community of practice that owns that and is driven, the values are driven by the community and not by the technology, not by the oligarch who might control that. Um, that's important. Yeah, this is, I think, a very good summary. Um, of our conversation so far. Natalie, you wanted to add something? Yeah, I, I guess I was just, uh, you know, trying to uh, gather my thoughts and, and conclude also. Um, uh, I, I like very much, yeah, I, what, what, what uh, really um, uh, echoed with me is the fact that, I mean, Platform OS is a uh, you know, technology but we didn't talk about technology or hardly. We really talked about those communities, the role of those communities. How do you identify the, the nodes that are the cornerstones of animating this community? How do you, how do you um, uh, stimulate those nodes? How do you do this while preserving um, maybe uh, anonymity or data, you know, while having uh, uh, Making sure that your data is protected, um, and and the other side of this is uh, how can you do this 
while owning your your own data also. Uh, so, um, yeah, I guess uh, uh, to me that's what I, I'm, uh, you know, uh, taking away from this, uh, this conversation uh, uh, beyond the fact that I see a lot of potential uh, positive impact on sustainability, on economic, uh, uh, potential economic impact also, uh, which uh, obviously, as Matthias said, is really um, uh, what should be driving, you know, uh, companies uh, if they want to, you know, make money in the long run, if I can say like that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, so I also think that uh, this is... Uh, the key point I learned. So, of course, that there are communities, uh, interests, practice, and so on, and then, and and that they are a, that they are a crucial role in the success of any platform. But you always have to value trust higher than profitability. Uh, otherwise, you will lose this immense power of the communities. And I'm um, um, yeah. Thank you so much, Adam, for sharing those kind of insights and also those kind of examples. And I'm sure we could we can have also another episode uh, recorded with you talking about DevOps and the technology part of it. So, so you are so experienced. Um, so maybe this is a good idea for, for for maybe later to have another episode talking about DevOps and how can you enable, yeah, and leveraging Dev, DevOps principles to accelerate, etc. Absolutely, and especially around performance tuning to ensure that um, you know, because every web page is using electricity, and if that's not optimized correctly, you're actually you might have the most amazing community, uh, and your community is all about sustainability and helping the planet, but if your infrastructure, DevOps, and code isn't hitting the mark on performance, uh, then you're contradicting yourself. So that's another part that a lot of people miss. Yeah, and um, um, we are always closing our episodes with a kind of a question to to our guests. And um, so, what would be your single most important advice or kind of platform advice to other leaders, to other executives who want to maybe embrace this platform thinking, embrace this platform journey, or already on the on the on their journey? So, what would be your kind of key advice? Maybe your key learnings you had in the in the, in the past? Well, I know it's not a leading question, but I would say take a look at the platform innovation kit would be a good start for them. And then uh, they would definitely need to think about how they can own their community. It's really important not to uh, abjucate or hand over the keys to your community by leveraging external services that have a very specific interest in controlling the data and the narrative of the users within that community. So I think the number one takeaway is don't rush into building on a platform, whether it's ours or Facebook or any other, without knowing the long-term objective of that business. And uh, is this business model for your platform going to be sustainable for planet, for people, for profit, but also Ultimately, do you have control over it? Do you own it? This sounds very, very good. Adam, thank you very much for having this conversation. And um, let's stay in contact. <laughs> and maybe let's have another recording with talking about DevOps and accelerating development, etc. So it was really refreshing. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Adam. 
Thank you all Thank for you. having me. I appreciate it. 